0: Welcome to Interruptions Podcast, where we talk to individuals who have dealt with trauma and interruptions in their personal and professional lives and their journey towards being resilient. Every episode, we will talk about actionable advice that you can apply today to restore yourself, your career, and find the courage to reinvent yourself in the midst of your interruptions. Our names are... Odell Montgomery-Cooper.
1: and Kathy Patton. Hi, Odell. It's been a minute, but we are back. We're back. (laughs) It feels so great to be back. Thank you. It does. And so I'm really excited that our guest this evening is Mr. David Adams. He's the executive director of the William Casper Graustein Memorial Fund. So welcome to David. Thank you. Hi, David. David. David, this is actually the first time that we met, so it's a pleasure. Thank you for coming on the show. I'm so glad that Odell invited you.
2: My pleasure as well.
0: Odell, so tell me how you met David. Oh, uh, the, uh, the foundation has a community leadership program called CLP, and David and I was in the same cohort. And if I'm not mistaken, that was probably your first time moving to Connecticut and you just starting working for the company, if I'm not mistaken.
2: I was six months in uh, to the position at that point.
0: Okay.
1: Okay. So yes, that's that's how we met. Mm -hmm. Great, great. So David, I hear that you're the reason that we have this podcast. Tell me how that happened.
2: Well, I don't know if I'm the reason. I just felt that Odell's story was one that was really important to share. And I thought that the uh, podcast format would really be a good platform to get it out to as many people as possible. So, you know, I'd say, uh, Odell, have you ever heard of a podcast and
1: kind
2: (laughs) of. looked at me <laughs> and so I said, well you know check it out I think it's uh, a space that you might want to consider you know using to tell your story
1: Yeah. Well, thank you. We do appreciate it because we have enjoyed doing this. And as you said, it's important that we tell these type of stories. So thank you again for joining us. So, David, yeah. um, other than what we see on the Memorial Fund website, can you tell us a little bit more about the Graustein Memorial Fund that we would not find on the website? Um, there's not a lot that
2: you won't find on the website. I mean, I think that the important thing to understand is that The Memorial Fund is really the the manifestation of the journey of a family uh, that came to the United States in the late 1800s. And, you know, as immigrants had that, you know, sort of typical experience of really um, working to integrate into this country, into the culture, and, you know, really benefited from the educational opportunities that existed at that time, and that was really the, the platform for the family to really uh, be able to sort of launch themselves and solidify a, a future, you know, for the, the, the next generations. And the foundation is really an outgrowth of, of that, you know, commitment to provide support for other Americans to have that kind of opportunity. And, um, you know, it's really been evolving along those lines. And I think the other thing that you won't necessarily see on the website is the the web of, of relationships and experiences that have happened in the now over 25 years of the foundation's existence of the Memorial Fund Um, started in New Haven and had a a small office in New Haven and uh, grew, eventually moving out uh, to the current office in Hamden. And um, over time, really built relationships, not just in the greater New Haven area, but throughout the state, Um, you know, mostly through the work in the first 20-something years around early childhood. Uh, But, you know, building relationships that have informed the continued growth and direction of the Memorial Fund.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much. So David, as with all of us, COVID-19 has been more than what we ever anticipated and continues to have such an impact that has devastated so many. Uh, Just when we were starting to get adjusted to what everyone now is referring to as the new norm, then the issue with George Floyd occurred and the resurgence and the strengthening of the Black Lives Matter movement. How has your team stayed committed to your mission through all of this?
2: You know, I I have to say that the the team was really firmly grounded in the mission of of, equity and really kind of addressing issues of race and poverty uh, you know, from the real beginning of that turn that we made five years ago. And we've worked hard to really be anchored in that space. Um, you know, honestly, the first real interruption on that journey happened in 2016, um, Mm -hmm. and, you know, many of us, and I'm sure all of us here included were, you know, fairly shocked at the election outcome in 2016. And we had to take a step back and think about how do we, you know, do our work in a way that responds to that particular situation. Because we were, you know, as you know, Dell talks about in the play, reinventing ourselves. This was not a foundation that had focused on equity uh, in its earlier years. It was one that cared about equity, but was really sort of focused on a, a different set of issues. And as we, you know, we're starting to live out the new mission, we were focused, especially because the mission is uh, achieving equity in education. So we were really focused on looking at what are the the impacts that education has in communities of color and in low income communities. And when the the presidential election happened in 2016, we realized that the, the landscape had changed and that we were going to have to figure out how to make the work that we do relevant mm-hmm. to that as well. Um, mm-hmm. So when, when the pandemic hit, it really felt initially like it was going to be more just a change in how we worked mm-hmm. and not as much of a change in terms of what we work on. Uh, and that you know, changed pretty quickly when we realized the magnitude of the devastation mm-hmm. of of the COVID virus on the country, on our communities, and how much it exposed the lack of equity that existed and and yeah. how how vulnerable certain communities were. And so we had to, you know, really shift again to mm-hmm. think about what else we needed to be doing in order to both stay true to our mission but at the same time stay true more so to our commitment to the communities that we had started partnering with and and trying to support Mm -hmm. Um, and that really has been an ongoing you know process we've had to change the way in which we interact the way in which we structure our sort of work process the way in which we you know sort of invite people to seek funding and the, and the way in which we make funding available. So it's, mm-hmm. it's been a, a pretty comprehensive shift in many ways. And, and we're still, I mean, in many ways, thinking about constantly how are we sort of in touch with and paying attention to what's happening in community uh in a way that allows us to be as effective and, and supportive a partner as we can to the communities that you know we've chosen to care about mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. thank you that's um we actually forgot about the uh 2016 election <laughs> i know, you know we like right, it, right? <laughs> it's, it's,
1: yeah i i like i liked your comment in terms of how it really
0: exposed the inequity um uh in the communities so that's that's really true very yeah. true and uh, we're going to be dealing with the same feature again in November, the outcome of another election. Mm-hmm. Yes. And,
2: and and I think that we are dealing with um, challenges on every front for, for change. You know, I think what, you know, part of what happened in 2016 is that Most of day to day life continued going on and you can sort of get lulled into this false sense of security that, well, wasn't that big of a deal. I mean, you know, we've got a jerk in the White House and we can't depend on the federal government in the ways in which we may have been used to depending in the past. But I think as things have evolved and as it's really mushroomed in 2020, there's just a a realization that everything is up for grabs, Mm -hmm. Um, you know we we talked about you know being being concerned about equity in education and just the fundamental way in which the relationship between you know communities and, and school institutions exists has been put in jeopardy um, you can't guarantee that children have any relationship to school right now i mean there's a, there's documentation Yes. Of, a, of a significant number and mm-hmm. I won't call it dropouts because I don't think you can drop out of something that's not really truly engaging you. <laughs> that has not made it possible for you to function effectively in that space. And, mm-hmm. and so uh, okay. in the same way, you know, that that, you know, Odell talks about reinventing herself and we've talked about trying to reinvent ourselves. You know, the school system, government communities are going to have to reinvent themselves as well to respond to just the, the realization that we weren't ready. Uh, we were not really prepared for any and everything yeah. that could happen.
0: You know, David, we were going mm-hmm. to talk about education later, but seeing you've mentioned it, so I'm going to pop that question in for you now. Mm-hmm. Um, as you know, in some schools, they're virtual. They're mm-hmm. working from home, they're teaching from home. Mm-hmm. And just recently I, I heard, I think it was Hamden had a power outage. Not a oh, power wow. outage, they, um, the internet crashed. Uh, so yes. students were not able to get on. My granddaughter is here and sometimes they're kicked off because there's so many people on. Mm-hmm. Or there's, I think it reported the other day that about 2000 students had not logged in. Right. In the classroom.
2: Right. Um,
0: what is the foundation? What what is your what are people reaching out for you all for help and for guidance in that area? And what level of support can they reach out to you for?
2: Um, so <laughs> when the pandemic first hit, you know, one mm-hmm. of the things that we initially started trying to address was the way in which um, schools and families and communities were just trying to deal with health issues more than anything else, Mm -hmm. you know, six (laughs) months later, and as you know, we're trying to sort of get back to some sense of, of, I don't even know if I can call it normalcy, but maybe functionality is, is the right word. Um, you know, we have been in conversations in terms of looking at the ways in which, um, schools and families, uh, just need to have certain support systems in place yeah. to address these issues. Mm-hmm. Now Good. we are a, a small family foundation. We're not equipped to address the needs of all the school systems, uh, in the state that we have relationships with in terms of dealing with technology, uh, mm-hmm. in terms of dealing with the kinds of, of, training and professional development that schools need to make that shift. Um, we we have been a part of a broader sort of uh network in philanthropy that has stepped up at one point um the dalio partnership um i think spent 10 million dollars providing chromebooks to students Mm -hmm. uh, throughout the state so that they could log on now it raises the question if you have a chromebook what's your connectivity looking like? Do you have your Wi-Fi magazine. in your home or in your right. building? You've right. probably heard the stories of kids going, I think to Taco Bell because there was free Wi-Fi there
0: mm-hmm.
2: and, and you know similar stories. And so, I mean, the problems are, are, are of a pretty large magnitude. Um, and sure. so one of the things that we felt like where we could make a difference is to support the people who are trying to engage in advocating on behalf of community. You know, when we when we started our our new mission on on focus on equity and education, one of the things that was clear is that certain voices were missing from the education table, specifically the parents and the students of color who were most affected by racism and poverty in the state. And so we, you know, initially five years ago began supporting organizations who were able to organize parents as well as students to advocate on their behalf. And we continue to do that. We've increased our support for those organizations because we know that they are even more challenged right now. Uh, and we did so mm-hmm. without making them jump through hoops, you know, we pretty much just reached out and say, look, we're sending you another check because we know that you need it and there's nothing that you need to do, you know, to get that money. And,
0: um, and, and David, what was their response when they received a check? Uh, a surprising check where they didn't have to apply for. There mm-hmm. weren't any grant requirements mm-hmm. or applications, yeah. but just an organization that said, we know that you need this and we're sending this to you.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, extreme gratitude, shock, surprise, um, and, and beyond. I mean, I, I do think that it was not expected. Um, okay. It was not expected. I think both from anyone to just show up and say here, and which is rare right and you know that the foundations which are typically fairly formal and bureaucratic would not you know sort of make people jump through hoops and so there there was a lot of um you know both appreciation but like wow like who 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 would ever imagine you know that that would happen
0: good so dave i have a question for you out of all of these um in terms of our new normalcy our new functionality Mm -hmm. as you say Tell me, what has surprised you uh, about your team and Mm -hmm. yourself Mm -hmm. in terms of working and pivoting and adjusting Mm -hmm. through all of this? Well, I'll start with
2: myself. You know, I think I always knew that I was a, a bit of an extroverted introvert. Um, (laughs) I didn't realize just how comfortable I was in the introvert space. I mean, you know, pandemics are ideal for introverts because you, you know, I mean, introverts love social distancing (laughs) 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 and, um, you know, I never saw myself as a loner, even though I grew up an only child, I was a latchkey kid. So I was very used to, I mean, I did spend a lot of time alone because, you know, obviously I had to go home by myself and get my homework mm-hmm. started and, you know, what have you. But, um, you know, I, I think in many ways, I, I believe I had grown out of that. I, I really worked uh, from high school on to become much more extroverted and, and to be comfortable in that space. Okay. But, you know, the pandemic just kind of, you know, sent me back to the future. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you know, here's my world, you
1: know? That's funny.
2: But um, in terms of the team, um, I have to say, I've been really gratified to see both how um, um, adaptive and authentic that the team has been. We've had really direct uh, conversations with each other. We, we, we push and pull on each other. We, we really try to keep it real. You know we, we we have reality checks on a, on a frequent basis and that's been very very helpful um because it allows me to inform the board uh about you know things that are happening in community and and the challenges of doing this work uh but it also helps me to understand how the team needs to be supported and so as people were you know sort of getting zoom fatigue and trying to uh, juggle yes. you know having everybody at home while you're working and and mm-hmm. just you know just all the the emotional fatigue of seeing what's going on in the community and in the world. Um, you know, we began to get feedback that, you know, people needed some time for themselves. And so we declared summer Fridays. we hey, um, nice yeah, nice. made, made it very clear we, we get it. Mm-hmm. We know people are already working above and beyond, and we needed people to take time and space for themselves. Um, so, you know. It it has been important for the team to be able to be upfront and and to, you know, share their perspectives and opinions on what's happening and what they're seeing. Um, And it allowed us to even create a a new bucket um, beyond the COVID bucket that we created initially at the beginning of the pandemic um, in terms of beginning to work with mutual aid groups in the state. Who don't right. have 501 C3 certifications and Very good. et cetera. And so, mm-hmm. you know, we had to figure out how to support those entities because they were doing important work in the community um, and did not go through the formalities of setting up an organization and getting in, a, you know, a, a, a spreadsheet with, you know, all kinds of information uh, laid out that foundations tend to demand, you know, people send in. So we've had to shift.
0: So, Kathy, before I ask you your question, David, for those who are listening may not understand what you mean by mutual aid. Can you just explain that to them, please? Sure.
2: Yeah. Thank you. Um, you know, mutual aid is really people in community coming together to help one another, to help neighbors, um, to you know figure out how they can you know gather the resources, money. Food, you know, whatever, for those people that are are doing without, that are struggling and and need that help. And so instead of trying to sort of go through the bureaucracy of government and nonprofit organizations, which can okay. take time and mm-hmm. and and you know sort of oftentimes make it difficult to get everybody what they need, they just kind of stepped up and started pulling together, uh, you know, food drives and clothing drives, and, you know, whatever was Very needed good. to to make mm-hmm. that happen. Uh, Some are based in churches. Some are just based in community centers. Some are just based in housing projects. I mean, wherever the need is and wherever people are willing to come together.
0: Okay, thank you. I'm sure our listeners will definitely need to hear that. So, Kathy, Mm. I'm not leaving you out of this conversation. Oh, no, I'm enjoying um, listening. (laughs) I know. So earlier in our previous podcast. Oh, David, you're on for lucky number seven. So you're number 7.
1: This is this is
0: it. So Kathy, you've talked about raising a daughter who with with autism and the importance of having a routine for her. Mm-hmm. And I remember you leaving to go to work before the covid happened and now you're working from home. And we didn't think it would last as long as it has. So my, that same question goes to you. What have you, so what has surprised you about your daughter, your routine, you and your lifestyle that you didn't think, you know, that's a surprise. This is what we have to do.
1: <laughs> I, I, you know, initially, I think I always knew that I was a person that uh, liked going to work outside of the house, right? And then all of a sudden they're saying, okay, don't come in to work. And I'm saying, well, what does that mean, but you still have to work. Right. And so I, it, it took me a minute. I mean, I ha, I have to say, I did not adjust to working at home well, because I, I didn't know how to, you're used to having your computer at work and you, and although I had a laptop, I had it with me, but you have your copier at work and then you have a routine when you get into work and you log on and check your emails. And, and I'm like, well, you know, I always stop for coffee when well I got to make some coffee and I, oh, I got to fix breakfast. You know, now I got (laughs) to fix breakfast. I got to open a kitchen in my kitchen, you know, open a restaurant in my kitchen. I'm saying, okay, everything's kind of out of order. You're used to getting a new car, Getting, I was used to getting my daughter ready and her bus was coming to get her and then the bus is not coming to get her to take her to her program and that we weren't hearing anything initially from the program that she's part of. And so I'm saying, okay, but she now has to have a routine too, right? And so if if you know anything about work with children with disabilities to um, having a routine is really key for them to stay connected in, in a community, to stay connected with who they really are. And once you get that routine, for that routine to be broken in a matter of just a minute, it was really, it was difficult for her, it was difficult for my husband and myself. And so again, while her program is very good and I know that they were probably trying to work around how do we still reach out to our participants in the meantime, you know mm. the parents have to deal with someone at home that has special needs, and one of um, and then I you know have some really great friends you know you know Adele you and really great friends who were sending me information if they heard about anything and there was one show that was going to be on one of the major networks talking about parents at home dealing with children with special needs. And I made sure everything was done because I said, oh, I'm going to listen. I'm going to get some ideas um, as to what to do. And I listened and and all it was, was there are parents at home with children with special needs and this is what they're going through. Okay. Well, I knew that part. I was looking (laughs) for solutions, right? And so there wasn't any solutions coming. And again, for it not to come for a day or two is okay, but for it not to come for a couple of weeks, then that really would set her back. And so I, we had to sit consciously and make sure that she stayed in her routine somehow. And so we were creating our own lessons, teaching lessons for her. We made um, sure that she did not forget some of her daily living skills because that's really important too. If I was having a hard time, and I know there were a lot of adults having a hard time getting up and saying, "Well, what should I get dressed for? If I just put a shirt on, I'm going to be on a school hall in my <laughs> pajama pants, right?" And so. We had to okay. recognize what we were doing as well. So we had to get up and mimic as if we were going to work because she's watching what we okay. do. So um, so it was a big, big adjustment. Uh, she's doing well now. Her program actually had started to do uh, Zoom connection with the participants. So it was great for her to see her classmates on there. Uh, but again, for her, she's, she can continually ask the question, when are we going back? Because for her not to be and she's very social. And so this is really difficult for her not to be able to have that level of connection with other people that she was so used to and getting out in the community and doing things in the community. This has been really
0: a challenge for her. So thank you for asking. Always have to check in. These interruptions happen and COVID is here a lot longer than we anticipated.
1: Um, So Odell, I'm going to ask you, what did
0: you, what were your personal issues? (laughs) Well, my interruptions was interruptions. Um, And David was the first to help support interruptions production and gaining its sea legs. Um, David, I wonder if you all know that once you all bless a project, then other organizations will support you. And because you were the first funder, um, it made it easier for interruptions to be funded by others. So in the midst of submitting an application for a stage production, COVID-19 happened. And wow, I right. it, it shut down. So right. the stage disappeared immediately overnight. Mm-hmm. Um, you're not meeting in public and funders denied grants immediately we're not supporting stage production group organ you know group meetings and I panicked and then a funder said and we're not supporting gun violence Mm -hmm. and we we didn't know what to do so Mm -hmm. I took a week back and I just prayed and then I of course I called David and we talked and you mentioned it earlier David staying true to your mission staying true to uh, what's important. So the team talked and we decided that interruptions is about gun violence. It's my gun violence and it is the trauma, but there wasn't any data or anything out yet that talked about COVID-19 as it relates to trauma because it was too soon, too early. Mm -hmm. And we were not going to change the narrative And everyone was asking, is it COVID related? Is it COVID related? And talking to David helped give me some language that it's another layer of trauma as as time progressed on. So the stage production disappeared and it became an online production. And that's how that, that surprised me. Because one, I didn't think I could ever do a stage production. Now I'm learning how to do a virtual production. And we had to go get Zoom licenses and figure out how to do rehearsals in Zoom. So I've learned a lot about myself in the last six, three to four months in terms of being able to go back and finding something about myself, my strengths of project management and asking for help to just make this happen. So it was I've I've learned a lot.
2: Well, you remember what Willie Shakespeare said, right?
0: No, tell me, please. All
2: the world's a stage.
0: <laughs> you know, I love that. I, I, I do. love that. So, so yeah. Dave, I have a question for you. Mm-hmm. Um, so, personally, you've heard how COVID 19 is, is happening with us. And in the midst of interruption, when funders said no to the production, George Floyd happened. Mm -hmm. And now gun violence was, oh, yes, please talk about it. But we stayed true to our mission. Um, So personally, that's what's been going on with us. How has COVID hit you personally? How has it impacted your life? Give us the the great picture of what your life was like before (laughs) COVID-19.
2: Before COVID-19, I mean, we were, you know, definitely... um engrossed in the work. And, you know, by that point, my wife and I were empty nested. You know, our youngest was in New York City going to college. Um, and, you know, we were kind of getting used to, you know, having all of this space to ourselves. And um, I would say literally within a matter of days after the pandemic really kind of hit everybody. So we closed our office on March 12th. Mm. Um, um and, and I have to say, um, you know, it was really due to you know, Fahad Vahidi in our office really kind of like tugging at us because, you know, you were kind of hearing about stuff in the news
1: mm-hmm.
2: and Fahad wasn't letting it go. He's like, no, I think this is serious. I think we got to pay attention. Okay. And so, you know, after he said it a few times, I was like, OK, let me let me. Listen, because this is sounding pretty serious. And, you know, once I started paying attention, I was like, oh, this is some serious stuff. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, so we huddled and we made the decision to close the office. And that was on, I think I literally lived 10 minutes from the office. And so I was able to like walk out the door and like come home immediately. Other folks needed a little more time, you know, because they're spread out throughout the state. Uh, But literally by the next day, the office was empty. And, um, wow you know that next day my son came home from college you know my wife who actually does a lot of consulting in new york city like had to you know kind of pack up and and, and you know start working from home okay and then um two of my godsons one who was based in new york and one who was going to college in pennsylvania Came to the house because uh, the one in Pennsylvania's family is in, in Atlanta. It was just easier to get here. And we all kind of thought, well, this will be a few weeks, maybe you know, month or two at most. Mm-hmm. Um, uh-huh. And then a number of other friends came, so we went from having <laughs> two people in <at> the house <laughs> to having nine people in the house oh, within a matter wow. of days. Now, mind wow. you, I've been working in this office uh, for the last six months, but outside of that door.
1: Oh, no. It was
2: on and popping for, <laughs> you know, a couple of months. I mean, we literally had, you know, all the young men in the basement, all the uh, older folks, uh, you know, sort of in our upstairs in the in the bedrooms that the kids used to have. Okay. <laughs> um, oh,
1: my goodness.
2: And, and we created, like, this little village setting. You know, we did, you know, dinner together and sort of activities together. It was, frankly, a lot of um, fun, you know, because we've gotten so disconnected in, in many ways from everybody yes. you know, sort of being together um had an element of some real sort of fun and joy of the village into it mm-hmm. and and allowed us to really kind of get through this idea of people dying you know one of the okay. women wow. staying at the house with us lost her father dude to COVID, uh, her sister is a physician's assistant in New Jersey, and that's where her father was living. And you know, lo and behold, he, he he got the virus, and and he passed away. So, you know, we were dealing with a lot of emotions. I mean, it was a real roller coaster. You know, looking at what was happening um, in the world on TV, you know, and trying to understand what we should do, and trying to figure out what were the new protocols. I mean uh you know trying to figure out you know can you go to the store can you order from the store you know, <laughs> do you wipe yes. everything down i mean it was a, it was a lot it was a lot mm-hmm. to to adjust to while then everybody was trying to stay connected to their work the young men were trying to stay connected to school okay. you know most of us were trying to stay connected to work uh you know one of the women uh here Is actually professional actress. Imagine now leaving New York City, where most of your work is based, and then trying to stay connected to that work. So, you know, it was challenging. Um, And yet, I think we we were able to support each other, you know, through that process, um, and and you know, figure out kind of what to do, what to do next.
0: So when you go from the excitement of empty nesters, (laughs) (laughs) that was a big change. (laughs) Big big change. To having now nine people in your house, yeah. Son is home. Yeah. I I I I got it. What do you all do? What do you and your wife do? And I I I know you all both laid back, energetic. Love the outdoors. Mm -hmm. You hike.
2: Right. Um,
0: enjoy going to the city mm-hmm. for Broadway plays and all that shut down.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, right. What do you all what What did you all do as people are listening to figure out? So how do you all what did you all what do you all do now to stay to rejuvenate yourself to stay connected as mm-hmm. a couple mm-hmm. and even to stay sane as a individual? What do you do?
2: Yeah. So, you know, two sort of things started happening. While we had a house full of people, you know, we became each other's entertainment to a certain extent. (laughs) And we had family dinner almost every night at that point. Okay. That, I mean, honestly, we hadn't had family dinner in years. And so that, you know, was interesting. And we never had family dinner that big, Mm -hmm. except (laughs) around Thanksgiving and Christmas and what have you. But, um, and then the family dinners began to um, take on a theme. You know, I started um, after Blessing the Food and everybody got their plate, I would sort of ask a question nice. that would sort of engage people in thinking about, you know, something that they hadn't thought about or, you know, so we got to know each other in, in some really oh, new, fun and interesting I ways. Like that. Yeah. So that was cool, and, and frankly, we had some intergenerational dynamics that, you know, frankly, we probably were uh, missing out on, you know, because the young mm-hmm. men were either, you know, way at school or working and living in their own world. And so we got to, you know, learn a little bit more and got to ask some questions about, you know, trap music and. Stuff like that. <laughs> all
0: right All right. Uh, Trap music. I'm sorry. I'm out. <laughs> right. yeah. yeah, you'll you'll you have to catch up. <laughs> yeah. Yes, you
1: will. All right. I have some work to do. <laughs>
2: but as people started migrating back home, and so now we're back to it's the three of us, you know, my, my wife and I and our youngest son, because okay. he's you know still going to school remotely. Mm-hmm. Um we, one, had to figure out how do we stay physically active because, um, you know, my wife is very active in Bikram yoga and was going to the studio sometimes every day. I would go to the gym. So we had to figure out how to, you know, sort of do that mm-hmm. differently. Interestingly enough, and this is the first time in my life I've ever lived in the suburbs, i say for the first five years that I lived here, I didn't really know my neighbors at all. I mean, we'd see them and maybe wave on the way, you know, in and out, but these last six months have gotten to know the neighbors, you know, because nice. we, we walk our dog every day up and down the, the cul-de-sac. Okay. Uh, and it's interesting because you can tell we're city people because we like to walk up and down the street. <laughs> our neighbors don't do that. You
1: know? <laughs> really? Oh. Yeah,
2: I mean, because, and I have to say, the thing that I miss the most about, you know, uh, leaving New York City is walking, you know, being able to walk mm-hmm. out the door and go places, you know, go anywhere. Um, and so I finally got to sort of get my walk on again. Um, the, the, the gardening game at home really kicked up, uh, to a very, you know, new and significant degree. Um, and, and then a couple of online things began to happen. Um, my wife's family has a weekly zoom where each member of the family, and this is family spread out all over the country. Each week, some member of the family takes responsibility for some activity. And it's Good. been actually quite fun.
0: Does that I, still go on?
2: It's still going on. Good, um, awesome. I I am a part of a Zoom uh, weekly with the guys I grew up with on the South Side of Chicago, I, and it reconnected, you know, us because we are all spread out all over the country as well. It reconnected us in a way that we had kind of lost touch. You know, obviously, you know, some of us were more in touch with others, but the whole circle of guys that we used to hang out with and literally, you know, sit on the corner and drink wine. (laughs) (laughs) That's what we did. (laughs) Um, so That's been really good reconnecting, you know, with, with those brothers. And then, um, you know, I I got pulled into another group. It was funny, a friend of mine in New York who works in New York, he lives in Jersey, had been trying to pull me into this black men's book club. Mm-hmm. Um, right about the time that I left uh, New York City and the book club usually happened in Brooklyn. So I, I, you know, had totally missed out on that. Well, now it's online. And so I can participate nice. in that. And that's been very fun. nice. Okay. And then we had been active members of something in New York City for the last 10 years called Harlem Movie Club, which happens once. Well, t- 10 months out of the year, once a month, 10 months out of the year. Um, and it's it happens in Harlem. Two people pick a movie and we get together. We used to get together and potluck and talk and, you know, have fun. That's moved online as well. So we're pretty actively mm-hmm. engaged with our network. Great. So yeah, you no, know, it really is, uh, has been positive. My wife's been able to connect with her Bickram community online. She set up her studio okay. in her office. Um, so we're still connected. I managed to introduce my 86-year-old mother to you know video conferencing, um, <laughs> first got her on Facebook Messenger, and my daughter and I. <laughs> would have little three-way chats with mom um, and you know it was just kind of cute and fun to you know, see her adapt mm-hmm. to the technology but you know I've unleashed the genie and the, so now she's uh, you know zooming into the uh, <laughs> you know the, the co-op board meetings where she lives and so it's been really you know interesting and it's fun good. but uh, and, and I think it's what you know has to happen we have to support each other in figuring out how to adapt to this new reality.
0: Yeah, it's, it's true. But David, you have to tell the story. Your daughter is home. And so
2: she actually was here. She came back um, about two weeks ago because she needed some of that, you know, home cooking and what have you. My daughter is expecting next spring.
1: Oh, awesome!
2: Um, but she was having very severe uh, nausea uh, to the point where she was in the hospital. In fact, I drove to New York um, one Saturday to pick her up and take her back home uh, because she had been in the hospital a couple of days, was losing weight, um, was not right. keeping anything mm-hmm. down, and so just based upon her treatment needs and 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 just emotional needs as well, she decided mm-hmm. to you know come up here. And, you know, just with the constant care and attention that you really can't get in the hospital. I mean, I think hospitals do a fantastic job, mm-hmm. but, you know, sometimes you just need that round the clock, uh, you know, yes. home cooking kind of thing. That she got back to the point where she could begin to, you know, sort of get a little bit you know, and was not literally throwing up like every 20 minutes. Um, and I'd say, after she was here for about four or five days, she was, you know, back to eating like a horse. And <laughs> I, I knew she was fine when she got her favorite dish, which is uh, camarones uh, al Diablo, spicy shrimp,
1: okay. uh, oh. from
2: Mezcal, one of I'd say the best best Mexican restaurant in in the area. Oh, um, so she but. Oh. She uh, she went back home. Her husband came up to, to okay. stay with us for a while because obviously he was missing his wife and mm-hmm. their anniversary was this past Saturday and they wanted to spend that alone, which I totally understand.
0: Well, listen, yeah. the congratulations. Thank I know you. this is your first grandchild and Absolutely. Kathy is experiencing the same.
1: Uh-huh. First, um,
0: she's, when it, When is the child due? Yeah, it's Ram,
1: I call her Princess Ramsey. She is due on October 18th. Oh, and wow. so, yeah, the change, and you talk about interruptions even with that whole process, right? Mm-hmm. That the father can't go to the appointments and, and my son just has to drop his wife off um, and wait in the parking lot and right. can't even go in right. to see the ultrasound. So that's been a big interruption for them. Yeah. And, and so, yeah. So it's it's it has been it has been difficult for them. I know, David. You talked a lot about the camaraderie and uh, pulling us all together, which I think is great. And I think I am going to miss that piece when this is all over. We hope that some of this we we hope that it lingers, right? That yes. in terms of the getting together and staying in contact with each other and and the Zoom, because it it has forced us to communicate in a way other than text, right? Yes. No, you're so, right. Yeah. So I think that's great. I know for me, initially, one of the things I should have said is when initially when they said, oh, stock up on things. And, you know, I'm not my grandmother. My grandmother would have (laughs) had all of this stocked up in the basement already before. And I went to the grocery store and said, well, I have no clue what am I stocking up on? Because first of all, I don't feel like cooking every day, and so I mean, I was just like, stock up on what I have. I still have canned goods stuff downstairs. I said, I don't even know what to do with this because I don't use canned goods on anything. So I'm like, I, it, that that was a big change for me, just trying to figure out how to stock up more than just regular grocery store shopping. Right. 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 Yeah, and figuring out what was safe. So, David, I know. You heard me say that um, my daughter uh, is autistic. She's my youngest daughter, uh, but she, although she's going to be 28 and having an adult child with autism. And so just that challenge, that interruption of her life, mm-hmm. because it was already difficult. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and you talk about education, equity and trying So talk about employment inequity. Um, employers not wanting to hire someone with disabilities. And as she loses more and more of that connection with her community and getting those basic skills and those employment skills, I fear that uh, employers will have even more of an opportunity not to accept someone with a disability over um, taking someone that is at full capacity. And so what What I would ask you is I know that your memorial fund does a lot of outreach um, and accepts a lot of um, requests. And so have you ever had someone request uh, funding to work with particular adults or children with disabilities and what is and what does that look like what do you look for when someone's coming to your your uh fund to say listen we'd like to start this and um but what is it that you are really key in looking for right um we have not had that specific request mm-hmm. um we
2: tend to sort of fund more systems change kind of work I think the thing that we would want to see is how is it that we can help the system begin to adapt to meeting the needs of a population that has you know been so marginalized for so long and I don't I don't use the term disabled you know when I was in New York City I ran a youth program Uh, to, you know, provide academic opportunities for Black and Latino youth in New York City. And and we had autistic young people in the program. And they, from my perspective, weren't disabled. They were differently able. They had lots of strengths and assets, quite
1: frankly. Absolutely.
2: You know, there was a young man in my program who ended up being the best tutor that we had because we basically (laughs) would take our, you know, students who had either you know, they were older or graduated and have them come back as counselors and tutors in our summer program. And one of the things that I noticed about him that was different from the other young people was that most young people, if you tell them, okay, we'll help this young person learn this or to you know do their homework, mm-hmm. most young people will then say to the kid, okay, here's what you do. And he did something very different he, he talked them through the process of them doing it themselves. And the kids actually learned more wow. from that wow. process. And I don't know enough about the science to know how his different ability made that possible. Mm-hmm. But he was so good at it, I made him the head tutor so that he could right. try to teach the other tutors how to do it that way. Because as opposed to just sort of doing it for the kid, it's like, say, here, this is what you do. Right. And more kids do learn by watching but they don't necessarily develop that skill themselves and 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 I really was you know very appreciative of the fact that he was able to help those young people learn for themselves as opposed to just being told how to do it so you know I think there's a way in which the system does need to recognize those different mm-hmm. abilities and to support that and you know frankly employers need to learn that because You know, as they you know become adults, they have skills and aptitudes that other people don't have. That's right. And Mm -hmm. you know, studies have shown that the more diverse your workforce, frankly, the stronger it is, the better the outcomes, the higher the productivity, the higher the profit. If that's what's what's important to you, Um, but most employers are not willing to know to learn how to manage diverse (laughs) groups, whatever the source of the diversity is. Mm And, um, you know, it it does challenge you, you know, because you do have to constantly understand everybody's difference. But frankly, we live in a world of difference. And if we're not going to learn about the differences, then we're not really learning how to function in this world. we're, we're, We're trying to fit people in the square, you know, holes when they're round pegs. And that just doesn't work. I mean, that's a huge part of the problem that we have in our world today, trying to force everybody to conform to some artificial, you know, norm.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. David, I have to ask a question. Um, so we have no we have no idea how long we're gonna be in this virtual reality. Our, our our students working from home, companies needing to reinvent themselves, individuals reinventing themselves. Can you just project other than Dallas Cowboys going to the Super Bowl next year? Um, <laughs> I'm don't, sorry. Don't I didn't see that anywhere. Was that on the news today? I didn't see <laughs> Other than Dallas Cowboys going to the Super Bowl next year. And, uh, and losing to the Kansas City Chiefs. Yeah, I saw that. Yes. I, 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 I saw that. David, I mean, companies, I mean, our listeners are listening and they're going to go to your website and to figure out what's out there. What do you want people to What should companies and individuals should start thinking about for their communities? What's on the horizon? You know, I, I, am always seeing that David's been invited. David Adams has been invited to speak at this large group, this men's function, um, they're everywhere. So people want to hear from you. So what should people be thinking about to stay relevant and to stay committed to their mission?
2: So th- we, we are living through the biggest wake up call uh, that I think any of us have lived through. And, and I, you know, I include people who have been through all kinds of changes over the decades. And I want people to understand that when you get that kind of wake up call, it's really not so much a time to go back to what you knew. It's a time to understand what needs to change,
0: okay.
1: to
2: understand that we're in this situation because things weren't working, even though they appear to be working at some level. And this is now an opportunity to reinvent everything, quite frankly, Um, and and to really think through, well, how do we want this to work going forward? What should we have been doing and how can we start doing that? How can we reinvent school? Uh, the technology yeah. obviously exists. I mean, that's a really and interesting that's, thing. Yeah, we yeah, now right? know. I mean, someone kind of said, oh, so we could have given kids um, free iPads all along and, and Chromebooks all along. Well, why didn't we? We could have, you know, sort of provided our access, to, you know, to the Internet to everyone. Well, why didn't we? You know, what, what was that right. all about? And so there are lots of ways in which we now understand that there are are things that need to change that can change, um, and that you know each one of us has responsibility, you know, for for making that change. Um, you know, there, it's interesting because um, someone foretold this time. I don't know if you've heard of Octavia Butler.
0: Yes, yeah. you and I and, were talking about that,
2: right? And yeah. she wrote this book called The Parable, or two books, The Parable of the Sower and The Parable of the Talents. And if you read that book, that book is what we're living through right now you know, and not just the pandemic. I'm talking about these last few years. And part of what the book was about was how people were beginning to adapt and change and really accept and understand how important it is to be prepared to change, to welcome change. You know, we tend to try to avoid change. We tend to want things to stay the way they are. Status quo was not working for everybody. And frankly, it wasn't really working for most people. And I think that, you know, the, the the fact that people have really become so dysfunctional in so many ways during this period is a sign of that. I mean, I think that the increase in gun violence around the country yes. uh, is, is a sign of that. You know, my hometown has been as bad as it already was. It's been even worse in some ways. Um, and, you know, obviously the, the police violence is not new, but we know more about it and we also know just how entrenched the system is in defending the police over and above everything you know people talk yes. about blue lives matter and that's never been a question if something happens to police the system rallies oh, immediately to address that
0: absolutely The problem
2: is not you know what happens to police the problem is what happens to the average joe or jane in poor communities and especially black and brown joe and james Because the system does not rally to support us. That has to change.
0: Okay. And we've
2: gotten to a point where everybody is now committed to making that change. And I think it's a wonderful thing.
0: That's good. So, David, we have two questions for you. I have two questions for you. Um, One's a real easy one. What does the R stand for in your name? (laughs) Um,
2: So, my first name is Robert. Uh, for whatever reason, my mother's never called me Robert unless she really? was calling all three names, which meant I was in
1: trouble. That's
0: yes, okay. Okay. <laughs> All right. I had to ask. I said, he's yes. going to come. I'm going to ask that question. Yes. So in our last couple of minutes before we wrap up, um, what are you? Because people see the organization, they know what the foundation does and the impact that it has on our community. And you can always Google someone to see their profile and their activity. But tell us, David, what are you in your heart? What are you passionate about?
2: I'm passionate about family. Um, And, you know, to a great extent, because I grew up really literally having one family member uh, that I could really uh, connect with on a regular basis. You know, I was raised by a single mom um, who, you know, was uh, my everything and who's still a part of my everything and i think that i've you know been able to extend obviously you know that commitment to family to you know my wife and kids and and really you know married someone who's very passionate about family as well and that's you know something that we share and you know i'm blessed to have uh in-laws that i really dearly care for and who are wonderful supportive in-laws as well uh, but also having built, a larger extended family that we call our village, the people who knew that they could just sort of, you know, show up when, when, <laughs> when, it, when it hit the fan, you know, that they could just move in because, you know, they needed that and we needed to support that. And we, you know, we, a lot of that village um, co-parented our children together, uh, still, you know, have that kind of connection because, you know, you never really stop parenting your children anyway yes uh you know even though these are frankly all young men uh, you know we're there to support them and so you know the idea of family not just your biological birth family but you know who's really there for you and uh was able to you know take the the intense passion and love that my mother poured into me and and be able to share that in you know as as broad a space of of love you know to to family and village as i've been able to
0: Oh, I I remember when my son died and I was just, you would check in on me and I was just in a very dark space. Your wife said, listen, Odell, if you just need to come, there's a hole downstairs. No one will bother you. You can cry as much as you need to be in the space that you need to be in and opened up your house and said, listen, if you downstairs is all yours, if you need it. And I remember coming by and just hanging out in your beautiful garden in the hammock. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's where I stayed and nobody could see me crying. So being able to have the heart to open up to families, extended families and communities and to have that space is is truly welcome.
2: Yeah. Sense. Well, you know, my wife has taught me to count blessings and to understand that when you're blessed, you have to share those blessings. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, every time that we've been blessed to have more, we've always tried to figure out how to make sure that that was available to others, that we use what we were blessed with to support others and share that with others.
0: Okay. So David, our last question. uh, any, Any lasting comment you want to give to young entrepreneurs, college graduates? who are looking to start working with companies and compromising their mission, their goals, to stay relevant, to get a job, to leave the state. Yeah. <laughs> um, sometimes we make decisions out of being desperate mm-hmm. and lack of options. What is it that you would like to say to companies to remain, to stay committed to their mission during this midst of a huge interruption. So
2: so I'll borrow a uh, message from August Wilson. You know, you have to sort of understand that life is always about two trains running, you know? And as much as you have hopes and dreams and goals and visions, you also have to adapt. And it doesn't mean you have to give up your dreams. It means that you sometimes have to take a detour and, okay. and really, you know, be um, clear that you're making a detour for that kind of short-term purpose. But at the okay. same time, if that was truly your heart's desire, if that was your goal and your dream, then you're going to find a way to make that happen, and, and and you need to do that. And you need to, you know, share that vision. You need to let people know, you know, what it is you want to do, uh, what support you need. Um, it's very hard for people to support you if they don't know what it is that you're trying to do and, and what you need to make that happen. Uh, right. So that's, I think, the important thing that we need to share. You know. Frankly, one of the bigger challenges that you know we faced um, at the Memorial Fund is understanding all of what you know community wants and needs and how they need that to happen. Um, we have turned to trying to deploy not just our grant funds, which is really only about five percent of the funds that we hold, but the other 95 percent of our portfolio. We're trying to figure out how to invest that. You know, to the benefit of communities in Connecticut, and it's actually been a lot harder work than trying to give out grant money. Um, and well, part of that, part of the problem, is that you know, entrepreneurs and community development people, um, housing development people, are not reaching out to every corner where they can get support. Uh, and so, you know, we and many others stand ready to provide that support if we just right. knew, you know, when, mm-hmm. where, and how to, to give it.
0: Why? Well, I- Thank you. And I'm sure. Thank you. And I'm really hoping that they listen to this message and contact you. (laughs)
2: Absolutely.
1: Please do.
0: do. All right. Uh, Kathy, any other questions you have? David? No, David, thank you so much. Um, Thank you. I really
1: appreciate you. you joining us. And I know your words are going to really be impactful for others that are listening. So thank you so much for taking this time out.
2: My pleasure. Yes.
0: So this concludes Podcast 7 and Interruptions. I know (laughs) it's a wonderful thing. Kathy and I, we thank you all for joining us. I'm sure this is going to air on Sunday, Saturday mornings. So uh, please go to our website and click on the subscribe so you will get updates about all future podcasts and other information. And if you have not seen the production interruptions, it is still on the podcast. So please look, look at it, click on it, watch it, share it. It's up for the month of September. So we say thank you. And we will see you in two weeks with our other guest. And not going to say who because interruptions happens all the time, but it is coming. So thank you again for listening and have a great day. Bye.